Sam, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. All right, good evening church. We're diving into our series, The Revelation of Jesus, a book about the great revealing to all creation of how amazing Jesus really is. Well, when I, uh, two weeks ago, I, I mentioned how the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus. This, this book is revealing how amazing Jesus is. When I went through this introduction a couple weeks ago, I talked about why. Why are we studying this book? And basically, I said something like, we're studying this book because so many of the people in our city and our nation, our generation, and right here, are struggling with disappointments connected to God. Struggling with, with pains and disappointments and, and, and worries and fears and anxieties and depression, and all culminating in, in, in large amounts of massive, maybe unspoken questions about God, connected to God, pointing to God. Questions such as, is God really good? Because when I look around, it sure doesn't seem like, I mean, I, I, based on what I see and what I'm experiencing, is God really good? Is he, is God, does, he, does he care about me? Because there's a lot of darkness going on. There's a lot of pain going on. There's a lot of things that nothing seems to be unfolding like I would like to be unfolding, or at least, you know, it only takes one thing to really throw us off. But like, there's so many things. Does God, does God care about my pain? Is he going to do anything about my pain? Um, is God worth following when it seems like he's just so far away right now and it's just like what is happening and we, we have all these like questions about God especially in seasons of disappointment and when they're not coming when things don't seem to be falling into place the book of Revelation addresses these kinds of questions in an emphatic way in a powerful way, it's a, this great declaration of no matter how great the darkness is, no matter how great um, the, the, the challenges and the disappointments in our life, Jesus in all his goodness, sees. He's paying attention, and he is going to act, and he's going to do it in an amazing, spectacular, powerful way. He will overcome all the darkness, wipe every tear from every eye. As we dive into this book today, there's uh, four important things that I want you to remember. I mean, the first one is that this is the revelation of Jesus. But, but when it comes to these other four things, is as we look at this book full of wild imagery and all this kind of confusing stuff, uh, as we look at these glimpses of heaven and, and the, the battle on, on earth, four things I want you to keep in mind is, number one, revelation is about what is truly true. Revelation is about what is truly true usually as we assess what's true we're using our eyes and we're looking around and we're we're we're, we're you know we look at people or we look at institutions or situations and, and evaluate life based on what we see what we see this book reveals the true identity of Jesus' bride the church it it reveals the the true enemy it reveals the true champion of heaven, Jesus of Nazareth, and it reveals what's going on behind the scenes. It can be so confusing if you just look at the surface. You remember stereogram pictures? I got a picture. Here's, here's a stereogram picture. Remember these things? Stereogram pictures where you're supposed to like look at them and then like 
look deep into them and, and kind of like blur your eyes. I don't know if it works at this size. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. You, you can stare at it as hard as you can, but this is one where you kind of look at it and you kind of look deeper and then all of a sudden the 3D image pops out, right? We know what I'm talking about, right? This isn't just, yes, we know. Okay, thank you. So uh, in some ways, the book of Revelation is a bit like a stereogram picture. And if, as you're reading through it, and, and at first glance, you're like, wow, this thing's all like crazy and chaotic. You, this is, and, and this is happening, and this is happening, and all these images, and all this, uh, wow, this seems kind of crazy and, and, and chaotic. Also, though, the life that it's describing, the world that the book of Revelation is describing, also feels to us crazy and chaotic. The early church's experience, it feels crazy and chaotic. And, and, and I don't know, does it, is this how your life feels right now, where, you, where you're looking, and, and maybe it just doesn't make sense, and you're like, God, why is this happening, and how does this fit, and why am I here, and what's going on? Well, the book of Revelation is, 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 is like this, where at first glance it looks crazy, but it's a call to look deeper, look past the surface into what's really going on, the real story, the real battle behind the scenes, the real meaning, the real purpose. This picture isn't about chaotic blue. Anybody see what it is? It's three crosses and an empty grave. It's three crosses and an empty grave. You, you can't say, you'll take my word for it. Uh, I, I got the joy of seeing it up close on a computer screen, and I got to stare at it for a while. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got there. Revelation is about what's truly true, getting past the surface level confusion and seeing what's really happening. Number one. Number two, Revelation only makes sense in light of the Old Testament. And we, we've talked about this. Good thing here at the church, we spent lots of time in the, in the whole of the Bible. And, and our Bible read-through groups cover to cover, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, I teach at least half the time in the Old Testament, half the time in the, in the New Testament. Um, for, for this study, we're going to be helped as we go through the book of Revelation by several important Old Testament books, such as Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Genesis and Exodus. As we, the, old, the Bible helps us understand the Bible. That's why we read it cover to cover, by the way. Because if you're looking at a verse and you're like, I want to study this verse, the Bible helps us understand the Bible. So Bible saturation, cover to cover, helps us do better job at understanding each individual passage, each individual verse. So number two. Number three, uh, Revelation is about reawakening the church. It's about reawakening the church. If you're new here, the reason I moved to Scotland, it wasn't just to start a church. We have churches here. I wanted to start a church that would lay the foundations of long-lasting reawakening. That would lay the foundations of long-lasting reawakening. And I've said from the beginning, reawakening begins here in my heart. We like to talk about awakenings and great awakenings of massive movements of people. But but. Reawakenings begin with one heart responding to God, awakening. With, with your heart responding to God, awakening. Okay, this isn't, we haven't, we, we're not announcing this yet. We'll announce it when it, actually ha when it actually becomes live. But I started this week recording th this new podcast. We're, gonna, we're starting a new podcast called Reawakening. And it's being approved by the iTunes store right now. And basically that, that is an extension of our, our mention here where that, that podcast is about every two weeks talking about how we can go from wherever we are towards feeling more fresh, more alive, feeling more close to, to God. 
Um, whether, whether you're feeling pretty good right now and taking your next, next steps or far away. It's kind of a mentoring process of, of laying foundations for, for you and for your, your life. So anyways, that'll, that's coming out in a little bit. That's, that's a secret. Shh. We won't tell anybody. Uh, but that's coming out soon. This book, the book of Revelation, is about reawakening. Uh, the reawakening of a struggling church or struggling churches. Churches struggling with apathy, lukewarmness, uh, with compromise, with immorality. Churches struggling with just to hold on under persecution. All kinds of ways, and we'll be looking at that over the next couple weeks, all kinds of ways the church is struggling. And yet Jesus' call and this call is a reminder to, to hold on with faithful perseverance and, and to overcome, to stay pure, and to keep walking and following Jesus. So it's about reawakening. Uh, fourthly, Revelation is about revealing the amazingness and certain triumph of Jesus. In this book, we get glimpses of what's really going on and what Jesus is going to do about it. We also see the, how the amazingness of Jesus, it, it, it just keeps flowing. It keeps flowing throughout this book. And, and then as it flows along and we get glimpses of the amazingness of Jesus, it's like we take pauses to worship. Or we're, we're, we're glimpsing Jesus in his amazingness and then, and then, okay, wait. It's like John just like, okay, let me just, let me just talk about what's going on in heaven right now. Wah! You know, like just amazing worship in heaven. Um, the, as we look closely during this season uh, at, how, at how Jesus is now, it's, it ought to awaken our hearts. It ought to reawaken our hearts to, to worship. That, that our worship will go from where it is now, which is, which is good, uh, even more, even more. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I'm reading through the Bible, often when I'm reading through the Bible, I'll get struck. And that was a snap. I actually did it. Usually my snaps sound like this. No, that was even pretty good. Uh, keep going. So, uh, so we're, we're, uh, uh, when I'm reading through the Bible, and I'll just hit a moment where, where I'll just be struck by God, like how amazing this moment is. For something, and I will just have to stop reading and start praying. I'll be like, God, oh, that is so good what you did to those people. I want you to be like that to me. Or, or I'm so thankful you intervened in that woman's life or that guy's life. I'm so, I love what you did there. I love who you are. And sometimes when you get glimpses of God as you're reading through his word, it, it just makes you feel like I gotta stop and just praise God. Well, that's what the book of Revelation is like as we go through it. Just constantly, like, God, Jesus is at work, and then heaven is like, yeah, this is, this is so good. So anyways, it's, it's about uh, revealing and also uh, just reveling in the amazing triumph, uh, certain triumph of Jesus as we look at the church, as we look at the work of the enemy, and then as we see his ultimate victory. So what we're going to be doing in the study, starting right now, is we're going to be Hebrews 12-ing. We're going to be fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. But to be clear, we're going to be fixing our eyes on the Jesus that is now. We're not going to be fixing our eyes on gospel Jesus, the Jesus of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. During those years, Jesus humbled himself. That was humble Jesus. Jesus humbled, uh, Philippians 2, humbled himself. Uh, th during those years, he limited himself to, to, um, to listening to the Father and moving in the power of the Spirit. He experienced weakness in his humanity. He experienced um, hunger. He experienced physical pain and, and death. That was just for a season. 
That's not how Jesus is now. That was just Jesus for a few years. Now Jesus is glorified. Now Jesus has been seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now he's, he's um, returned to his eternal glory and, and splendor. When I was growing up um, in Seattle, we had bumper stickers, right? Stickers on cars. And we had Christians who put bumper stickers or stickers on, on their cars. And, um, and then they drove poorly. I remember, I remember one of the bumper stickers that was running around Seattle for a season was, Jesus is my carpenter. Jesus is my carpenter. I'm like, oh, these are my people. Okay, Jesus. I mean, unless you have it, then yeah, we're, we're family. Um, but uh, Jesus is my carpenter, and, and, and that's, you know, it is what it is. But it's totally missing the image of what Jesus is now. What Jesus is now. It's just like Will Ferrell in Talladega Nights where he's like praying to, to Christmas Jesus. Like, hey, little baby Jesus, little baby Jesus, little baby Jesus. There's an absurdity to that because Jesus grows up, right? But, but that's anytime we're thinking of Jesus as he was in the Gospels when he was humbled and, and, and self-limiting in that sense, uh, we're, we're not understanding the Jesus as he is now. It's like we're praying to baby Jesus. And I understand that he like Christmas Jesus. But still, that's not Jesus as he is now. What you picture when you're praying, what you picture when you're thinking of what Jesus is like has a massive impact on, on how you live. It, it'll have a massive impact on how much you're worried about and how much hope and expectation you're living with. If you picture Jesus like gospel Jesus, if you, if you picture Jesus, like, like for instance, in the gospel, in the gospels, you, you have this, this, um, this story of Jesus sleeping on the boat while there's a storm going on, right? There's a storm and the disciples are freaking out. Jesus, Jesus, wake up, wake up. Don't you care that we're going to die? Don't you care that you're going to die? Um, that is gospel Jesus. Yes, that's true. That's what it was like. Jesus is not sleeping in the boat anymore. If you picture in your life, you're in a storm and like everything's going crazy and you're like, wake up, Jesus, wake up, Jesus. Don't you care that I'm going to die? That is, that is a completely wrong picture of Jesus. And I know it's biblical and I know it's in the gospels and I know it's an adult Jesus, but that's not today's Jesus. He is far beyond that. Your prayers aren't wake up sleeping Jesus. It's, it's different. Jesus is here. He's powerful. He's attentive. He's good. And so let's start with the book of Revelation. Uh, starts in chapter 1. We looked at the introduction a few weeks ago. Uh, we're going to take a look at Jesus today. And, we're, and our aim is to see if we can adjust our image of Jesus, the one that we serve, the one we worship, the one we trust, the one we're following. I'm going to read these spectacular eight verses, starting in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 1. John is writing, this is from his perspective, and he says, I, John, turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. Now I'm going to give it away. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Now, um, previously he heard this voice, and the voice was like like a loud trumpet, like a loud trumpet. So John turned. He turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven gold lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man dressed in a long robe and with a gold sash wrapped around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes like, fi- like a fiery flame. 
His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. And his face was shining like the sun at midday, as strong as the sun shines. When I saw him, says John, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and Omega and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is and what will take place after this. The secret of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That's a bit of a glimpse, and we're going to have a lot more of them as we go through this story. But that's glimpse one of your Jesus today. Powerful, powerful Jesus today. In this chapter, Jesus is revealed to be, number one, with his church. He's revealed to be with his church. It starts off with a picture, not of, I turned, and the first thing I saw is the lampstands. We know what the lampstands are because it says at the end that the lampstands are the churches. And I understand that there's seven churches that this book is literally written to, and yet John uses the word seven, or the, the number seven, to talk about completeness and totality, all, every, written to the church as well. Jesus, walked, the first thing we see about incredible living Jesus is he's with his church. He's walking amongst his church. This is not sleeping Jesus on a boat far away. This is, this is Jesus here walking among his church. You know, when people come into this building sometimes, I'll, I'll see them and they'll just be in here and maybe they'll just like weep the whole time. They weep the whole time. And it's just like, okay, God is here. God is here in this place. Now, I, I understand that, that people stream and, 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 and do all that sort of stuff in this church, but there's something about gathering together with God's people together in person that is, that is special and powerful. And yeah, God meets with us in our, in our, in our homes and, and, and we're, while we're walking along the road, everywhere. But there's something about the church gathered, where, where the church together, where Jesus is, is, is amongst that church, and even in a special, a special way. Jesus is with his church. He's with his church. You're here, I hope, to meet with Jesus. With, to meet with Jesus who walks among his church, number one. Number two, Jesus is revealed to be, in this passage, the glorious son of man. The glorious, the glorious son of man. In this moment, John, who walked with Jesus, John, who knew him as well as most humans knew him. I mean, his, his mother knew him a little bit better, maybe his brothers, but, but in this moment, this vision that he sees of Jesus is a vision that he's never seen before. He had a glimpse of it maybe at the transfiguration. He was one of the three up there with Jesus when he was transfigured. But this revelation, Jesus, uh, is, is beyond what, what John has known. It's about Jesus victorious as well-deserved king of kings before whom every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess when they see this Jesus. Whoa, you are Lord. Jesus Christ is king of kings, is the Lord. 
Now, this title is, is an old t- title. It's an Old Testament title, Son of Man. I saw one like the Son of Man. And, and Daniel writes about Jesus. He writes about this glorified Jesus, the Son of Man. In Daniel chapter 7, which, which Revelation is referring to right here, in Daniel chapter 7, we get a vision of, of heaven, and it starts off looking at uh, the Father, like, like the Ancient of Days, God the Father. And you get this throne room gr- glimpse, verse 9 of Daniel chapter 7, as I kept watching, writes Daniel, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head was whitest wool. Can you see the family resemblance? Uh, the Trinity seems to have um, hair. <laughs> like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence, coming out of the presence of, of, of the Ancient of Days. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The courts were convened. The court was convened and the books were opened. And you get this glimpse of heaven and, and the Ancient of Days there. And then the Son of Man approaches in verse 13. And I saw one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days and was escorted before him he was given authority to rule and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people nation and language should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed so daniel sees this amazing vision of, of the the mighty son of of uh, the son of man approaching and all through the book of revelation we're going to see glimpses of, of this this same sort of revelation moment well john sees this one like the son of man and he gets to describe what he looks like and he says he's got a long robe and he's got this gold sash uh golden sash along his uh, over his chest and you, you might look at that and you think okay that's that priestly sash sort of thing maybe most of the imagery here of jesus is as king of kings lord of lords the the mighty victorious one um I, I don't know if I really need to say this, but you know, you, you think of, of Jesus as prophet, priest, king, having all those offices. Well, he generally, not exclusively, seems to have different eras where he functions in primarily different ways. So for instance, when he's on earth, he's primarily functioning in a prophet-like role, speaking to the people, healing the people, doing miracles like, like a prophet. He's also a priest. He does a high priestly prayer. He's got all the pieces there, primarily though in his prophet role. Right now, primarily more as a high priest, our high priest uh, in the throne room of God, bringing our prayer requests to God. He still does, does a prophet role. He's still speaking to people and, and, and doing that sort of a thing primarily in the future in eternity he's in his king role um is there a need for priestly intercession when we are in our glorified eternal state i I don't know how but i'm not going to say no but primarily functioning in, in that sort of kingly role so a lot of times in revelation we see more of the kingliness the majesty the splendor of jesus that's that's um that, that golden sash thing being more, maybe more kingly than priestly in this particular image. The white hair bit, so you got to get past your Germanic blonde Jesus. Uh, this isn't even ice blonde Jesus. This is 
white like wool Jesus. Uh, it's about purity and holiness. When you're thinking of these imagery, images of, of this hair, like white as snow, it said, or, or um, white like wool. You know, those are, those are sins are as scarlet, make it white as snow. That idea of purity and, and, and holiness, sinlessness, no shadow of sin with Jesus. His eyes, it just says like flames of fire like flames of fire. These are the all-penetrating, powerful eyes of Jesus to whom nothing in all of creation is hidden. And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. So maybe you're sitting there someday and you're like, God, do you see what's happening to me? Do you see what I'm going through right now? Jesus is like, yeah, I, I see it. In fact, I see it way better than you see it. I see it. I see it powerful eyes of Jesus. Feet like fine bronze when it's in the process of being fired. Not, not cold bronze, but like wherever Jesus goes, wherever those feet go, there's the fullest of power and authority. And then the voice. His voice is described first of all as a trumpet in verse 10, as a, as a loud trumpet, and then here in, these pas- in this passage, like, like, like cascading waters. Like cascading. Now maybe you, you hear that idea and you're like, oh, that sounds, that sounds nice. Like you know, melodic, like, oh, like a brook or something, like a, like a nice stream, like cascading waters. That's not the biblical uh, imagery of cascading waters. Think of it like being, have you ever been at the base of a mighty waterfall where it's just, the, the sound is just roaring. It's just roaring as the water just cascades off. Uh, the, the Old Testament, same concept, cascading waters, is describes the noise in heaven in his same phrase, the cascading sound of cascading waters, the noise in heaven, Ezekiel one and Ezekiel ten, where you you hear the just the sound of uh, of the thro- in the throne room presence of God. It's about this powerful, mighty, mighty voice. Jesus' voice, and then there's the stars. There's the seven stars, or, or all the stars, the complete, uh, uh, the complete the totality of the stars in verse 20. Verse 20 tells us that those are the angels, it says, to the seven churches. Now, there's two ways to understand this. I'm just going to put that out there. Two ways to understand it. A- angels, mostly, mostly, mostly in the Bible, when you see the word angelos, not difficult to translate, right? I wonder what angelos means. Angel. Oh, okay, I can remember that. So mostly, 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 but not always, always, always. So mostly, you got the, the, but really the word angelos means messenger. Messenger, that's what it actually means. And mostly, 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 it's talking about heavenly, angelic messengers. But not always. So for instance, in Luke chapter 7, John John's disciples, John the Baptist, sends messengers to Jesus to ask him, are you the one or should we be expecting someone else? Angelos, messengers. A few chapters later, in chapter 9, Jesus sends these, some of his disciples, messengers, angelos, ahead of him to prepare the place where he's going to stay in this Samaritan village. Mostly, it mean, we translate it angels rightly, but there is some, some question here of are these, thing, these, these stars, are they human, the human messengers, the human leaders of these churches where they're amongst the lampstands, or are these the angelic beings that are, that are behind each of the churches? 
each behind the churches in the Bible. In Malachi chapter 2, Malachi's name actually means my messenger. Um, but in Malachi chapter 2, verse 7, priests are called angels, angelos in the Greek translation, angelos. Uh, in Daniel, where, where we're looking at this, people are talked about as stars or shining like stars. In Daniel chapter 12, and again, this is so connected. Daniel is so connected to the book of Revelation. It says in verse 3 of Daniel 12, those who are wise will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So is this passage in Revelation 1, is it talking about those who are leading the churches or those who are speaking at the churches or is it the one who's holding the, the angel, the angel, the, the spiritual divine protector of each church? I don't know don't really care what, exactly what's going on there but what I know is that whatever Jesus is holding on to he's got it and that's a big deal whatever he needs to hold on to he's holding on to it and as far as it, is it human or not what I what I also know is Jesus has you in his right hand Isaiah 42 that he's holding you in his righteous right hand yeah so he's got the seven stars in his right hand a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. His face is shining with all the intensity, as bright as bright can be, uh, like the sun in all its intensity. Um, this, this sword, it's a big sword. I'm thinking, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a big sword. It's the biggest sword that they had back then. Uh, so the, the sword was this big double-edged, double-handed sword, like, um, think like a Scottish claymore, but bigger. It's about, it's the size of a person, these swords. Uh, think in, in the Bible, Goliath sword. You remember how Goliath sword was described? Uh, yeah, about the size of a, a person. Uh, so, so this, you got this, this big sword coming out of Jesus' mouth, different than the sword of the Spirit, which you might naturally want to tie it across to. Different word, sword of a Spirit in Ephesians 6. That was like the short, um, I don't know, gladiator sword. I can't remember what it's. Uh, any, anyways, uh, I'll work on my Roman uh, history in a moment. But the short, that was the short one-handed sword. So you've got, Jesus has got the massive double king, justice, victorious warrior, power sword. That's the description of Jesus in chapter one. We're going to get a lot more of him as the glorious son of man, at least how he appears and what he sounds like. John's response, when he sees this, it says, it says when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He, he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. Jesus, thirdly, is revealed to be the eternal one. The eternal one. The, the alpha and the omega, or in Greek, omega. The, the first and the last, the eternal God, the beginning and the end. The one who was and is and is to come, this great I am. When we were studying the Gospel of John a few, a few um, I don't know, weeks ago, I don't remember how long ago that was, a year or two ago, I don't remember, um, recently. Um, so I kind of lean forward when I, I, I can't, I don't necessarily track the past. So we were, when we were looking at the Gospel of John, we see lots of sevens in the Gospel of John. And one of the sevens was I am statements about Jesus. I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. Here's one. 
Ego eimi. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. It's, it's that John loves these I am statements. Well, at least he loves recording Jesus' I am statements. It's one that's easy to miss, but Jesus goes on to say, you know, I am the, the uh, first and the last. He goes on to say, I was dead. I was dead. But look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Fourthly, Jesus is revealed to be the releaser from death. The releaser from death. There is only one set of keys. There's only one set of keys, and Jesus won it. And he won them by his own blood. He was crucified, and yet God raised him from the dead. He, he didn't just get those keys just by saying, can I please have them? He won them victoriously. He, Jesus was dead, he says it right here, but now he's alive. And he now holds the keys, which means that he can get anybody out of death that he wants to. And you know what he says to his people? You give your life to me, you believe in me, you follow me, and I guarantee, I promise that you will live forever. I've got the keys. It's not, I can just let you, let you out. You can be alive forever and ever. No big deal. I got the keys. I got the keys. We're supposed to look at Jesus and be amazed. Of, of, of who he is, the power that he has, the splendor that he has, the majesty that he has, and, and that he has the ability to do all that he has said from rescue you to save you from death. He's, he's more incredible than even John could face. John could easily stand in the presence of Jesus during the, the period of the Gospels when he's following him around and learning from him, but not Jesus as he is today. Here he falls like a dead man. Dennis Johnson, in the book, The Triumph of Jesus, writes, oh, sorry, The Triumph of the Lamb, writes, we need to see Jesus to meet his blazing eyes of heart-searching holiness, to wake up at the trumpet blast of his voice, to respond to his jealous demand for exclusive and passionate loyalty, Shocked, insensible by the impact of his splendor, we need then to hear his words and of compassionate comfort, quelling our fears and quickening our hopes. Reawaken. Church, reawaken to the wonder that is our amazing Jesus. Turn your eyes, your, your hopes to this Jesus as he is today and in the words of that great uh, song written in 1892 or something like that turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face what happens when we do that well then the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace you might look at your life today and it feels like that stereogram picture a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion. You're like, I don't even know what's going on. Turn your eyes on the real Jesus and let things come into focus. It won't come into focus unless your eyes are set there on the real Jesus. Challenge this week, I've, I've, I'm now doing one challenge and one challenge only. 
One challenge only. Challenge number one, upgrade your mental picture of Jesus. Whatever it is, upgrade it. No, it's going to be okay. Uh, Even if you're like, no, I've got a pretty good image of Jesus. Okay, upgrade it. You're probably not going to undersell it. What I want to do is I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray for all of you in this area that, that Jesus will, will give us a, a greater glimpse of him as he is now.